It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by Jackie Vetter, who has just directed our recent adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. Thank you for joining me, Jackie. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Of course, of course. Jackie, you run a children's theater. Yeah, I actually live in a town about 28 miles northwest of Butte, Montana, um, which would give you exactly where I am. But I work at a children's theater. I'm the artistic director of a children's theater in Butte, Montana. When you chose Alice in Wonderland, it is a piece that we see time and time again and is a children's work. Are you? Do you find that you are drawn to stories with a playful narrative or what brought you to Alice in Wonderland? I have directed Alice in Wonderland before at like a summer camp many moons ago. I was thinking about, you know, when looking for pieces that were in the public domain, I definitely have been, had my eye on directing Alice in Wonderland again. And I definitely feel like I probably will still direct it again. I really liked this adaptation, but yeah, I, I kind of love the, I like reimagined classics, um, even though this isn't really quite that. And I loved the story and I loved playing with the story, particularly with a group of adults, because I feel like there's so much depth to this piece that, you know, you really can take it at face value and just go from what it is, but it really is kind of dark. So um, that was really fun to explore and play with, with the adult actors, because we could get into some of the nuance of what was going on in Alice's head. It is incredibly dark. It always scared me as a kid. It was like the one Disney movie that I could not handle until- Oh yeah, I can see that. The falling through all of the holes, like growing, shrinking. Like, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that is really scary actually. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just had a dark childhood that didn't bother me. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I could see that definitely. That's kind of one of the reasons I think I was drawn to it because it definitely has been on my radar, something I wanted to get back to. I feel like if you directed any capacity, you have like kind of a running list of things. And based on the people or the type of programming you're doing, there's different pieces you might lean towards. And, you know, the fact that I've been working at a children's theater, there's certain things we can't do. And I definitely could do this piece, but not in the way that I directed this group. <laughs> it wouldn't have been quite the same. That's interesting because at face value, you would think, oh, okay, director of a children's theater picks a children's piece. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I, but I liked that I could delve into the darkness of it. And I liked that we could actually have some, we had some really good conversations about the scenes and where these, you know, different scenarios could have been drawn from in her imagination. While I, I have, I did enjoy directing this with kids because they do take it at face value and it's just fun and it's a romp and they get to like have a lot of fun and play big, big characters and do the caricatures. I thought it was really fun to get into like the psychological of the piece and I really enjoyed doing that with everyone. What was an instance of that that stood out to you? I, I can think of a few, but I've yeah. Um, so we basically, when we, um, well, I mean, Margie's kind of hiding her true identity and all of this right now, but um, when we <laughs> went to uh, actually go through the piece kind of scene by scene, um, I did a lot of research about, you know, themes. And um, I also kind of challenged the actors to think about, you know, 
in Alice's real life, who could these different characters be mirrors of? And so, you know, is it authoritarian? Is it a schoolmate? Is it her uncle, perhaps? Uh, which we had some pretty strong realizations that the White Rabbit definitely is kind of this uncle character, kind of leading her through Wonderland, which I thought was really fascinating to kind of have this dialogue. And we didn't always agree. And I think that's okay. I feel like I, I definitely came into the project letting everyone know I you know, I feel like we all have gone through educational theater at some point. And I feel like sometimes you get asked a question like, and why do you think that person walked through that door? And the person, the director knows what they think the answer is. Mm. I never really came into this knowing what all my answers were. And I made that very clear to you all. I might have a question, but I might not know the answer. I'm sometimes just asking it. And then there'd be times where you all came back later and were like, I think I know the answer to that question now. And that's actually one of the most exciting things as a director when you kind of send your actors with information and they come back and have actually digested it and they actually are like yeah I feel like I know where that connects so that was I'm not cool. just saying this because I was involved as an actor in this project but I think that's the healthiest way for a director to approach oh yeah movies. if you go into something like I have all the answers you are leaving absolutely no room for anything else interesting to come up if you're going in with, this is my game plan, this is what I'm going to do, and and not allowing that space for a project to breathe, you're shutting out all these cool ideas that could be coming in. Absolutely. but And I feel like with kids theater, you know, kids do look to you and they're like, oh, you have the answers. I don't always have the answers and I'm not going to because you might have the answers. And I feel like that's the cool, empowering thing about working with kids is they want you to have the answers, but if you don't, they're challenged enough to be like, okay, well then I can figure it out. And I, that's something I've really loved working with kids in kids theater is you can challenge them in that way. And they're like, yeah, I went home and thought about that. And that, yeah, I think I have an idea of where, where that fits in. And that's really fun. But I do think we've all had those directors at some point where you couldn't say anything right. You know what I mean? Like your, your interpretation, your choices you're making as an actor just were never right. And I feel like that's something, I guess, maybe I, since I had that as a younger actor, that's what I've like devoted my life to not be. <laughs> because I feel like that's part of the collaboration part of doing theater is that everyone kind of gets to have a voice in the creation of what you're doing. Also working with adult actors, like I want to give everyone some leeway to like do their thing. You guys are all professionals. You guys have been doing this a long time. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. Like, I want to see what you do and where you grow and how we can help mold this together. So one note that really stuck with me when I was doing, you know, my own rehearsing was mm -hmm. you said, go through your character, especially when you're multiple characters, it can be hard to sometimes in such a quick rehearsal process, really find their path and what they're there to do. And I remember you emailed me and you said, go through your characters and just establish what their direct role is to Alice. Am I, am I there yeah. to derail her journey? Am sure. I there to provide a lesson? Am I there as support? What exactly is your role to her? And it sounds so simple, but it, it's so true. The whole thing is a dream for her. Mm -hmm. So all of these characters, yes, they have their own personalities and motivations, but they are there as an offshoot of Alice and her mind. Yeah. Well, and something that came up too with like Taylor working on the White Rabbit and weirdly enough, Carol, which we all decided later, like, wow, yeah, this is definitely 
Carol coming in because like his whole thing in that opening scene is he's teaching her about chess and how to correctly move throughout the chessboard. And and the white rabbit always inserts himself when she needs to get somewhere and she needs to get there quickly. And I always found that really fascinating because I didn't double cast that purposely at all. That actually is just by haps that worked out that way. But I think that that ended up being a really cool way to double him because those characters are the real world and dream world versions of each other. So I found that really fascinating to like watch what he did with that. But yeah, I mean, the answer to his question was super easy. It's always to get her back on the right path where she needs to go next. And I find that, yeah, definitely super fascinating. I said it in a rehearsal and I truly need it. You could do a, I, and I'm sure that's happened. You could do a whole dissertation on Alice in Wonderland. There's so much meat to it. And it sounds like you're saying, yeah, kids theater does it. And it feels so, it really can be done at surface value. But if you dig deep into this, it's really fascinating. Did you look into it all? I'm, I'm just going with uh, what you said about the white rabbit leading her mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm thinking back to like intro to psychology one or psychology 101 and I don't even want to I don't want to drop this on you that I have a psych degree but you're I'm kidding me <laughs> very youngian it like, yeah the, the yeah characters are very uh youngian archetypes in a way oh yeah yeah did you for sure did you read into that at all? I like, did it actually which I do I I literally kept the script and I kept my sound design because I was like I'm going to use this someday. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just like, kept it. Um, definitely something I've definitely popped out my psychology books as I've done shows. And I'm surprised I didn't do it for this one, honestly, because, wow. It seems like you innately knew in a way. Yeah. It's funny because my, I mean, my two degrees are in theater and psychology and I get that question a lot. They're like, do you use your psych- psychology degree and your, what you do? And I'm like, I mean, even working with children, like relationally, developmentally, yeah, absolutely. Watching family dynamics, birth order. Yeah. <laughs> what does this kid need? Your middle child? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wild <child. laughs> I don't know. Did you notice any differences between directing this time, especially just using voices and the previous time that you had directed? Alice. Yeah, I mean, the previous time was it was like an MTI Alice in Wonderland Jr. kind of thing, more based on the movie. The thing I liked about this adaptation, and I'm sure this information will be somewhere, but it's from 1915. It was an adaptation done in Chicago that Lewis Carroll and his writing partner wrote together based on the Looking Glass book. And I think because it is Lewis Carroll, I feel like that's why it feels so true and succinct and really kind of gets into like the nitty gritty where I feel like, you know, a junior version of a show or like a Disney version kind of cuts out some of the things that you don't get some of those darker scenes even. Cause I feel like even, I mean, this one, you don't have the flower scene, but you don't, I don't think you get like the mock turtle Griffin scene in the Disney version. There's like some sort of like the lobster scene, but that, which is similar, but it's not, it's not the level that this one is. And then you don't get the red and white queen dynamic, which is, I think, super fascinating. Some of the funniest scenes in the show, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to say watered down, but it's definitely, it, the, old, the other version I did was more the Disney version. Very similar to the movie. Whereas this is more true to the book, which I definitely enjoy adaptations that are an offshoot of a book, <laughs> for sure. I mean, and obviously working with 
actors who are professionals is different than working with summer camp kids who just decided to audition for a show. Obviously, all have their value. I mean, I love the summer camp kid who's never done theater before who gets cast in a lead and like shines. That just... I love that. That's like my favorite thing. And then they go home and you get an email from their mom that's like, there's a lead in Annie now. And I'm like, yeah, they are. I know. Nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a different... um, different dynamic but I definitely enjoyed this I mean since I have been directing mostly kids over the past six years it's always a nice little treat when I can just say things to adult actors and they just receive and digest and it's just fun to be able just to speak the language that I speak myself but working with kid actors just in general I mean it is fun to watch their process and watch them finally understand information like my favorite thing is when you teach an eight-year-old how to be grounded and then you can just say that word and they know what it means. And you're like, yes, that's exactly what we need. <laughs> I will adhere forever that kids in the arts are some of the smartest kids you'll ever meet, regardless of their academic status. <laughs> they just understand and process in a completely different way. And I I find I it fascinating. Completely, completely in agreement with that. Yeah, they're just emotionally on a different level. They have empathetic intelligence. They just really they understand in a different way. Than when you said teaching a, an eight-year-old to be grounded and they know what grounded means, my first thought was there are 60-year-olds in the workforce who don't know what it means to be grounded, like to learn something yeah. like that at eight and yeah. comprehend it and be able to really tap into it. That's an invaluable skill that will stay with you for the rest of your life, whether you continue an artistic career or if you you know, engage in the arts as an extracurricular, as an adult, that's something that is going to stay with you no matter what your career is. You know, you can find hundreds of studies on what arts in general do for young people as they continue on with their careers. But like theater in particular, I mean, all of the most successful people that I know from my high school did theater in some capacity, whether they were community focused, they did drama club, they did plays at my church they're also they're all the best in whatever their field is they're the most engaged in their field even if they didn't end up passionate but even if they didn't end up being a theater artist not only are they a patron of the arts and an arts appreciator which are even if you don't go into the arts we need those people that's the whole point um we need people to be arts patrons but they are the best at their medical assistant job. They're the best at their publishing house. They're the best teacher in their district. They're the people who are the most engaged because they have skills that they learned from doing theater, you know, accountability, collaboration, empathy. Problem solving. Problem solving, yes. Um, being articulate through reading. I mean, we have kids in our program who are right now in Butte who are just straight up they're like I have dyslexia and they now like have barely struggle with it because of their reading skills are off the charts now and it's kind of incredible and it taps into all of your different types of skills you're getting reading verbal communication I mean fine motor skills gross motor skills like everything is being tapped by theater I mean and I'm always proud of the kids who graduate and they go on like I have got kids got all over the place, uh, playwriting majors, theater education, acting majors, all over the place, film majors. I've got a kid at Columbia in Chicago who just graduated. So I'm always proud when those kids like decide, like we've inspired them enough to go off and to do this. And I feel like that's really exciting, but also 
I want to hear from the kids who weren't doing that. What are you doing? Oh, you're in school for education? Rock on. Like, that's great. And you're going to have skills from our programming that's going to take you on to do great things. And that's really cool, too. So, yeah, I think I think the age-old question is how do we get more theater programming in schools? I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't know what that solution is right now, but I'll work on it. <laughs> get back to us. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Was this the first project that you have directed that has just been vocals? Actually, no. During the like very heat of the pandemic, I'm not going to say post-pandemic now because we're not post-pandemic and that's driving me crazy. One of our local organizations, the Clark Chateau, which is one of the old like Copper King mansions in Uptown Butte. They do all sorts of art programming. They do visual art, music, documentary series and stuff, but they have always done theater. And during the pandemic, they started doing radio plays. And I directed two of them, actually. One was about Butte, kind of a very Twilight Zone kind of piece about someone who actually like went on a mine tour down in a mine shaft in like the early 30s and got lost and disappeared. And it kind of is very reminiscent of like the earth takes them, very much making discoveries about what mining was doing to the earth uh, the earth, earth was angry and what it did to take back from the people fascinating super creepy and then the second one I did was by a local playwright um, we did it in September of 2021 it's about baseball so we did it right in like the end of baseball season it's called Duffy McGee and it was about an older man who definitely was like heading into Alzheimer's and um, his family was worried about him and but he used to be like a baseball announcer but both of those pieces I did with this group and also had my good friend Frankie Angel just compose music to go along and underscore it. So you'll actually notice with Alice, there's a lot of underscoring. That's something I really like to do with radio plays. I love that. Um, So I use a lot of like Bach and some other kind of public domain music to enhance the piece. But yeah, I have my friend Frankie, who has underscored other pieces of mine for live theater, um, do some live orchestrations for those other radio plays, which we played on a local radio station. So a couple times, not a lot. It's definitely different. I really like the choice of underscoring more of the piece it I think it adds like a nostalgia factor of having that wall-to-wall music that just spans the duration I think it makes it cozier in a way well and also using music to like inform the audience so like I definitely have times where like when the white rabbit's coming you hear whatever his theme is when the red queen is coming or the Queen of Hearts is coming. You hear that, which is very informative of her arriving. So yeah, I like using I like using underscoring a lot. Actually, I directed a stage adaptation of Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe back in 2019. And right before I had seen that piece, my husband and I were in New York City and saw the production of 1984. And they had like static ambient noise playing, clearly purposeful to like put you in a, the headspace for 1984. But I use that same idea for Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, especially like enhancing it anytime the White Queen was coming in, just to like heighten the audience and put them on a sense of edge. So I really, that's something I really enjoy is like underscoring theater too. I really feel like it adds a certain something to the piece that you're doing. And especially if I can have local musicians helping with it. I love that. Love, love, love. I think there's such an art to, I've always wondered who picks the music for a trailer for a movie trailer? Sure, who picks yeah. the music and it's so interesting to me that you 
have found a way to incorporate not only public domain music, but then also music from local composers. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've always been drawn more to plays than musicals. I don't know if that's because I'm terrified to sing. So like, I personally don't even direct them. I direct musicals every once in a while. I feel like the first show that I really committed to underscoring it, I did Little Women back in 2019 or 2018. And I used a lot of like public domain Christmas music, but also like other piano pieces. And I used that same composer to help me facilitate underscoring it because she just knows way more about classical music than I ever ever could (laughs) she's fantastic and I really got a lot of good feedback about how they thought the music just enhanced the piece and the mood and like really took you to that place and that's kind of after that I started not only using my local composer to help with that kind of stuff but also just thinking more globally about how I use sound and music and pieces yeah and Alice I suck mostly even like some of the sound effects that are used they're still piano based so like when she shrinks or when she grows it's like a piano tinkering still what brought you to the piano over other instruments It just feels like this time period, you know, late 1800s kind of thing. I started with kind of a piece that put us in the parlor that was piano-y and felt like maybe there was someone in the corner playing a piano. And then from there, found pieces that kind of felt similar. And that's where I started finding some of these pieces that felt like they fit in with the world. I wanted to like kind of stay in that vein though. That felt like it just fit because like the piece starts in a parlor and that was what would be there is the piano in the corner. Do you find as an artist you are drawn to particular types of stories? Do you find that you're drawn to a particular character archetype? There's a couple different things I really enjoy. I definitely enjoy like and I have a very clear vision for putting this version of Alice in Wonderland on stage and you guys can do a second in the green room and you guys can let people know how to come to Montana to see it. I definitely love it. It sounds very cheesy, but I really do like reimagined classics. Like I really like taking a story and kind of putting it on its head. I commissioned a an adaptation of Snow White where we actually looked at the archetype and it was of the Chicago playwright. Her name is Kathleen Coombs. You can look her up. She's fantastic. But Just looking at like, so what is that story actually about? Looking at things like dwarves, that's not really a PC term. So how do we make that part of the story? Stick with that, but also how do we make it so that it's PC for the time period that we're in? Also, a guy kissing a girl when she's like comatose. How do we actually, so in our version of Snow White, she actually decides to wake back up. She meets her grandmother in a dream and she encourages her to make her own choices. Also looking at, you know, there's a couple different versions of Snow White, but in some of the older adaptations, like way in like the German fable, she actually has another girl who's like in the house with her. And she actually is the one who encourages her to go out. And so looking at Snow White just generally from a more female forward perspective, I like pieces like that. I think that's why I was drawn to doing Little Women. I really think, especially right now, when we did it in 2018, it felt like, watching a story about a woman who's just going to go out and do what she wanted to do, despite what men told her to do, just felt really right to do. Um, I really, really enjoyed that adaptation. I haven't thought about that Snow White and Rose Red in a while. Oh, yeah. We did it almost, and she did her um, treatment of it almost in comic book style, because that's the direction we were going. We did very comic book type makeup and made it almost like they were action figures in a way. It was really fascinating. Yeah, but I'm looking at pieces and how do we reimagine them in a female forward way. And I like book adaptations. Like I said, I did Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I really liked that adaptation. I feel like there's some great playwrights who write really, really good adaptations. Um, And 
you just kind of have to poke through a lot of plays to find them, but they're they're out there. Children's stories usually have the heaviest, darkest yeah. themes. Because they're coming they're coming out of adult minds who are trying to to create moral, to inform, to maybe pass on a message of warning. You know what I mean? Putting a lot of things out into the universe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Agreed. What do you think his message through Alice was? I mean, I the whole backstory of his relationship with the Littles, it came from publishing those stories that were meant for the girl, Alice, who Alice right. is based off of. But going with what you said of adults trying to implement some warning or some message what do you think he was oh man um was not anticipating that question at all it seemed like you know i mean all of these from from the interpretation of how i dissected this it feels like a lot of a lot of those characters are adult characters in her life and a lot of it is about how adults are still fallible they have characteristics that are even the things like the thing that i like the most about this adaptation and even the way that carly played alice is this growing frustration when these characters keep telling her that she's doing something wrong but they're doing the same thing right so you know adults don't know everything <laughs> I think that's a huge message. I mean, we pretend like they do. And I know you're an adulthood now too, Margie. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So um, <laughs> adults say things, but they don't know everything. I mean, obviously, like I said, there could be a dissertation about this, but I think that is one of the main things because I do think all those characters are mirrors because everything's mirrored but opposite or archetypes of people that she knows and maybe subconsciously thinks she's picked up on that she knows are not the correct or right way that people should go about doing things. But it's a little do as I say, but not as I do. Correct. Yeah. But I like that at the end, she stands up to all of them. And that is what ends her dream is that she stands, spoiler alert, um, she stands up to all of them. And that's what ends her dream, you know, is that she's then pushed back into reality after letting them know that the way you're acting is not, not what it has needed and not what I want. And I feel, feel like that's really fascinating. Yeah, I loved breaking down this script with you all and exploring this because it was fun to bring ideas and for you all to bring ideas. Yeah, I really, it was probably the most enjoyable part of my spring. <laughs> we had a blast. Good. I love that Alice gets what she wants in the end, to use the psychological term. Yes, like it's, exactly, it's exactly. I mean, it's wish fulfillment in a in a dream of you feel that you're not able to do this in real life. So then you are able to accomplish it in a dream. I'd like to see a sequel of what happens in like the week after. Sure. Sure. Gosh, I'm surprised you didn't write that. Honestly, it's really fascinating. And yeah, I, I definitely feel like this is one of, I feel like you, when you direct a piece, there's like two ways it can go. You either direct it and you're like, wow, I nailed that. I don't know if I ever want to, look at that script again or there's a play where you're like I nailed that but man I feel like I still have more to tell and this is definitely that show and I've done the same thing I've directed Little Mermaid two times I've directed Willy Wonka two times I don't know why there's certain shows I just keep directing over and over again I think I'm due for a Christmas Carol again too um <laughs> but this is one of those ones that I'm like I felt and I feel like part of it is because of the dialogue I had with all of you actors that I was able to like get so deep that I'm like ooh, there's still more to this well, that's a sign of a good director. Oh, well, that's very sweet. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, yeah, I'm ready. To, so if you want to come out to Montana, Margie, you can stay with me. Absolutely. You can reprise your role as the doormouse. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Pony's guy, she was the Dormouse, and a whole bunch of other characters that made her Dormouse was on point. <laughs> I have to tell a funny story about Margie. We were going through her scenes. I was like, gosh, I don't even know what a Dormouse looks like. And she goes, I do. And she pulls up and screen shares, because we're all on Zoom, a picture of a Dormouse. And that definitely derailed rehearsal for easily 12 minutes, because we could not stop laughing. Because it was just this cute little Dormouse curled up into a ball with his cute little tail. And he's very, very cute. Very cute. Um, And... But I was not anticipating her to be like, well, I know. But, you know, this is what happens when you work with pros. They have their research done. So <laughs> she knew. They have a folder titled Dormouse that's on their desktop. Highly, 10 out of 10, highly recommend Googling Dormouse. <laughs> highly recommend. And they fall asleep all the time. That's their thing. I love that. So You're good. just sleepy little guys. <laughs> Jackie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And if you haven't already, please listen to Alice in Wonderland on Standby for Places, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Without you, we wouldn't be able to continue bringing content to audiences all over the world. For exclusive interviews, behind-the-scenes content, and even more radio shows, consider becoming a patron today. All links are available at our website at standbyforplaces.com.